Lord Jesus, the words that you speak to us are spirit and they are life. And I pray that you would speak life to our dying hearts right now. That we would live through you both now and eternally. Give us strength. Be with my words. May I be clear. And I pray that as you plead with your people in Deuteronomy 30, that we would choose life, life found in your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. Today um, marks part two of our time in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Part two. So if you didn't get to listen to the message last week, I'd encourage you, pull it up on our website, and when you're driving to work or walking around the house, listen to it on your phone or something. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 30 was last week, verses 1 to 9, and it kind of sets the stage for today because it's talking about future events that God's going to do for Israel and that he's done for us. So we'll be getting into that in a minute. But Deuteronomy as a book is part five in a five-part book of the Bible called the Torah. Deuteronomy is the fifth part of that book. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And the book of Deuteronomy, or this fifth part, it's, it's based on a series of speeches that Moses, the leader of Israel, gave to the nation right before they crossed over the Jordan River and entered modern Palestine, the land of Israel, the land of Canaan. Now, life in the land, it was supposed to be really good, full of blessing, but only if Israel listened very carefully to the words that we read here in Deuteronomy. Otherwise, if they didn't listen, we looked at some of that the past couple weeks, God lays out a whole list of curses that would come upon them for refusing to listen to the Lord. And we've looked at the past few weeks how terribly things actually did go for Israel. Eventually, Moses predicts this, they would be exiled from the land. And all this trouble will come because they didn't have hearts that listened to the Lord. They heard with their ears. They had ears that listened, sort of, but not listening with a heart kind of listening. Like kids who hear what their parents say, but don't listen to their parents. There's a huge distinction. Um, that was how I lived my life most days as a, as a teenager anyway. I heard, but I didn't hear. I didn't trust. And we'll get there at the end today. <clears throat> Last week, we saw, though, that despite all this rebellion that Israel was going to do, God promised one day he would do a work in the hearts of the people so that everyone who's in covenant relationship with him would actually love him with all their hearts and with all their souls so that they would live. This heart work that God was going to do is a bit like God's version of open heart surgery. God would reach in, cut them open, and, and cut out the sinful part of them, often referred to in the Bible as flesh, the sinful flesh part and he would replace it with love for God. Here's what Deuteronomy 30, verse 6 says. We looked at that last week. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. In the days after the exile, way in the future, when they've been kicked out of the land and that's coming to an end, it says, The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that, here's the result, 
you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. Now, years later, an Israelite prophet named Ezekiel reflected on this very operation. And, and God actually, by the Spirit, is giving these words to Ezekiel. And Ezekiel is writing in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27. Ezekiel writes about this operation. He says, the words of the Lord, I will give you, Israel, a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put, what's this new spirit going to be? My spirit. I will put my spirit within you and cause you, what's the result? Cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey or listen to my rules. What does Jesus call this in John chapter 3? Being born again. You must be born again. We read it earlier together. Children born not of the flesh, not of human descent, or by a husband's decision. In other words, not through normal husband and wife relationship. Children born of God. This is the heart operation that God's going to do, giving us new hearts. Something we all have to learn in life, in relationships, in our own relationship with the Lord, is we, we don't have the power to change someone's heart. We don't. But here in Deuteronomy 30, we see that God, by his Holy Spirit, he has the power to do what we cannot do. He can change hearts. And his long track record with Israel, God's long track record with Israel, shows us, as we read through the page of the Old Testament, how simply, how utterly incapable God's people are of fully loving him and fully listening to him perfectly. Our hearts, just like their hearts, had to be changed. And God can do it. He can make us new. He can give us a new heart. There is hope for anyone. There's hope for you and I. And so in our passage for today, we're looking at the next verses. Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 to 20. We're going to see Moses talk a bit more here about this future work of heart circumcision that God's going to do for his people to make them love him. Then Moses is going to switch back into the present tense. So he's going to look at the future and then he's going to go to the present tense and he's going to end out the chapter with a final plea to the people, choose life. So in the passage today, two things. First, verses 11 to 14, we're going to look at the future location for God's word that's promised. A future location promised for God's word. It's not going to be like the words Israel received on Mount Sinai anymore. The words that Moses was rehashing before them now are going to be in a different location. They're going to be in their hearts. So we'll look at that and how they'll get there. And they're going to have a different effect on the people. They'll actually be able to do it. And then we're going to look at so, so we're going to first look at a future location for God's word's promise, and then second, we're going to see in verses 15 to 20, Israel's present choice. Are you going to choose life now in the present, or are you going to choose death? Are you going to choose blessing, or are you going to choose curse? What's it going to be? All right, so let's start in verses 11 to 14 with the future location of God's word. 
Now, before I read these verses, um, I, I need to make you aware of um, something I'm going to do that I rarely do. Okay? I, I rarely go with a translation that you're not going to find in any modern translation of the Bible. Okay? I, 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 I don't know if I've ever done that, actually. But usually they say there, there's a translation out there. You, the, I like how the NIV has it. Or I like how the ESV has it. Now, I suspect that this might actually be different maybe 50 years from now um, as more and more scholars come to a different position about these verses. Uh, but basically, I'm going to translate, and I shouldn't say I, there, I've been convinced by a growing group of, of Bible students, scholars, I've been convinced that the best way to translate these verses, verses 11 to 14, is future and not present tense. And the reason I need to clarify this is because I'm about to read them for you as future tense, and it's going to sound very different than what you have written there, because what you have written in your Bibles is present tense. And this just kind of his way of um, setting it up. In English, it's really obvious what's a future verb and what's a, a, a present, right? But in Hebrew, um, sometimes it's obvious, but not always. And, and in the case with being verbs, verbs of being, is you don't necessarily have to have them written down. I store. I will go to the store. I am going to the store. I, you know, context tells you the context. Um, if you're coming back with groceries, you probably meant I went to the store. If you're opening the fridge and it's empty, I store means you will go. It's the context. And so here, the same thing in Hebrew. There's no verbs in this passage. Whether it's future or whether it's present or whether it's past is all supposed to be implied or understood from the context. And I think the context makes it very clear that Future is the best way to understand it. And uh, we don't have time to go there today, sadly, because it's super dense what Paul does. But in Romans 10, Paul thinks it's future as well. So look with me, with me now, if you would, at verses 11 to 14. Preface over. Let's dive in. Verse 11. For this commandment, which I am commanding you today, will not be too difficult for you. And it will not be far off. It will not be in heaven that you should say, who will go for us to heaven and get it for us and we will hear it and do it. And it will not be over the sea that you should say, who will go over for us beyond the sea and get it for us and we will hear it and do it. For the word will be very near you in your mouth and in your heart so that you may do it. So, why do I take these future? Well, here's the first reason. The whole context of these verses before is talking about the future. We saw this last week. Verses 1 to 10 are all about how in the future, Israel is going to get exiled from the land. And in the future, they're going to return to the Lord after the exile. And they're going to turn to the Lord in the future when God does a heart work on their hearts, enabling them to keep the commandment of loving him mentioned in verse 11. So this commandment, verse 11, will not be too difficult because in the future, verse Six, God's going to circumcise your heart so that you can love the Lord. Remember, love God 
is at the heart of the commandments. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These commands I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. But they weren't yet because God had to get them there by Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. So the context sets this whole thing up as future, it seems. Second, verse 4 of chapter 29. You can flip back there a page. Verse 4 of chapter 29 has already told us that the commandment to love God with their hearts is, seems like too difficult for them. 29 verse 4. To this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. All the law has just shown that they haven't had this heart operation yet. They don't have hearts to understand the Lord, to know him. They don't have ears to hear him. They don't have eyes to see him yet. Okay? We actually see that when Jesus shows up on the scene of history and he says to God's people, the Pharisees especially, you have eyes but do not see. You have ears but do not hear. They still have those hard hearts. Many years later, they need the new heart that Jesus talks to Nicodemus about. You must be born again. You need a new heart. You need the new heart of Ezekiel. You need the circumcision talked about in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. So it really makes no sense, in my opinion, as you read through 29 and 30, for Moses to say in chapter 29, you don't have the kind of heart you need to listen to God yet. And because you don't, you're going to get exiled, and it's going to be really bad. And in chapter 30, though, God's going to fix the problem in the future. And then for him to say in chapter 30, verse 11, and you can do it. Yes, you can. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't seem to make sense. Didn't he just say they couldn't do it? Didn't he just say they won't do it? And then give the reason why they will do it? Because God's going to do a future work? So everything seems to say it's, it's future. Why then would our commentators translate it present? Here's one reason, at least, that I, I think that your translations right now have it as a present tense. Like, they can do it. It's because we, we assume, as humans, that should always implies could. What do I mean by that? We think it's unfair for God to imply or God to command us to do something like you should do this, but you can't do it. We feel like that's unfair. Why do we feel that way? Well, can you imagine if I got home tonight, Mercy and Silas, can you guys imagine if I got home tonight and I got some duct tape out and I duct taped you guys to the beds by your arms and you couldn't get out and then I said I want you guys to clean your room and if you don't clean your room you're getting a spanking they can't that's not fair that's not fair at all is that what God's doing here it would be unjust if so is he commanding them to do something that he's made them unable to do no. There's a difference, I think, between I can't because I'm unable, I'm tied up, and I can't because I won't. I'm unwilling. I can't obey you because I don't want to, and I don't want to, and I will never want to, is different than I can't obey, I want to, but I can't move. 
a difference. One's reality of our fallen hearts. One is injustice and unfair. So again, when God commands Israel to obey him, their inability to do so shows how hard and stubborn their hearts are. That's how Paul reads it in Romans 5. The law was added because of transgression, so that where sin increased, grace might increase all the more. In other words, they get all these laws, and it just makes things worse because they can't do it. Why? So that they would see how bad they really were, how unable they are actually to love God, and how much, how desperate they are for the grace of God in salvation through the Son and through the Spirit coming from the Father to save them. So this sets up the human heart problem very well here in Deuteronomy. And even though our problem is not God's problem, God has plans to intervene. It's a problem he will fix in Deuteronomy. One day, as I think verse 11 should be translated, the commandment to love God unpacked throughout the book of the Torah with 611 or 13, Brian, I always mix, mix it up. Actually 11, yeah, 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 611, which spells Torah, actually, in Hebrew gematria, which is kind of a fancy way of numbers spelling things. Um, so Torah means law. So, so Moses unpacks the command to love God and love neighbor, but at the essence is to love God with all your heart and with all your soul. And I think verse 11 says, one day this commandment will not be too difficult for the people. Now, another reason I think it's future, this one's a quick one, is that verse 11 starts with the word for. Do you see that in your translations? For is a word that we use when we are unpacking something we just said or supporting something we just said. I need to go to the grocery store for we're having company tomorrow. It, it gives a reason. It, it unpacks what has come before it. And here it seems verses 11 to 14 are, are starting with a for, a, 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 a supporting thing, because they're giving more information about the future work that God's talked about in verses 1 to 10. Verses 1 to 10 are future for this is going to be future as well. Verse 15 also is clearly marked off in Hebrew as starting something new. We all agree on that. Verse 15 in Hebrew is a new section, a new focus on today, today, today. Today, choose life or choose death. So now, again, let's dive into these verses, and I'm going to try to teach them now as, as future, and we'll see if they make sense to you. And then we'll look at the significance of them. It seems that in these verses, Moses is contrasting two different locations for God's command to love him, God's word. Two different locations for this word that Israel has to obey. What's the word? Love God with everything you are. Two locations. The first location is, is a far-off location, and, and a location that someone else has to go and get the word for them. It's undoable. The second location of the word will be near and thus doable for them. It will be in their hearts and in their mouths. So look at verse 11. For this commandment, which I am commanding you today, will not be too difficult for you, and it will not be far off. So one day, 
the commandment of God, summed up as love God with your heart and your soul and your mind, it's not going to be far off. It's not going to be too difficult. What was the command that was too difficult and that was far off? I think the hint is in verses 12 and 13. Moses says, look at verse 12, it will not be in heaven that you shall say, who will go for us to heaven and get it for us and we will hear it and do it. When did Israel say that about the commandment that they're receiving? Do you remember when God said, when they're saying who will go for us or somebody needs to go for us? It was at Mount Sinai. At the top of the mountain, Moses received the word of God from the location of heaven itself. Deuteronomy 4.36, from heaven he made you hear his voice. So here's the account in Deuteronomy 5, verses 23 to 29. I think it's worth reading at length. So if you want, you can go back to Deuteronomy 5. Deuteronomy 5, 23 to 29. As soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribe and your elders, and you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness. We have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and has still lived? Go near. So you can picture the elders saying, who's going to go for us? We can't keep hearing this voice. Let's go to Moses. And now they say, go near. Verse 27. And hear all the Lord our God will say and speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you and we will hear it and do it. So remember, they're speaking to Moses. They're saying, you go for us. Who will go for us? <laughs> Moses, <laughs> tag, you're it. You know, if they played the game and nose goes... Moses was the last one, right? Well, of course, he is God's prophet. Go up, hear the words for us. Verse 28. The Lord heard your words when you spoke to me, and the Lord said to me, I have heard the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They are right in all they have spoken. Oh, listen to this carefully, verse 29. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always, to fear me, and keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. Oh, that they had that kind of a heart always. A heart that hears and does and lives. But the words coming from them are only temporary, as we will see. They do not have that kind of heart always. The kind of heart that they truly have will be shown throughout the story of the Torah. They fail. They're exiled. But there is a day coming when they won't need to call for somebody to go up on the mountain and get the word for them. It will not be in heaven that they should say, who will go for us? Verse 13, it will not be over the sea that they'll need to go get it. I think that's an allusion to the fact that Israel had to cross over the Red Sea to go get the word from Sinai. But someday, verse 14, the word will be very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, so that you may do it. 
Now, we don't have time to go there, but within Deuteronomy, there is a prophet like Moses who's going to bring a word that the people will listen to. And we're going to get to that in two weeks. He's the one who comes from heaven itself. You don't have to make a journey. He's not far off. He brings the word and it's near you. The love of God is near you because he brings the spirit and puts him in your hearts. So again, stay tuned. We don't have time to go there today. Summary. Moses is saying to Israel that one day after the exile, after they really screwed up, in the day of heart circumcision, the word of command that they heard from Sinai, love God, love neighbor, it's not going to be a journey across the sea away. And they're not going to need to call for a Moses to go get it. It's not even going to be on stone tablets. Instead, verse 14, it's going to be in your mouth and in your heart. And the result is going to be that they can do it. Years later, the prophet Jeremiah, just like Ezekiel, he talks about it like this. Well, first in Jeremiah 9, verse 26, 9, verse 26 in Jeremiah, the prophet says that Israel's hearts are uncircumcised. They still have that sinful flesh in them. In the days of exile, their hearts are uncircumcised. But Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, we've read this many times as a church. It's such an important passage for who we are as new creation in Christ. In verse 33, God says, This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law, my word, in their minds and write it on their hearts. Future. In the days of the new covenant, there's going to be a covenant made by God with his people, not like the covenant they broke, the word will be in a different location. It's not going to be in the mouth. It's going to be in their hearts. How's it going to get there? Well, stay tuned, right? Let's look at verses 15 to 20 now, and we're going to see Moses switch back to the present with a final call for Israel to obey the Lord, even though he knows that it's going to fall here on the ears of people who are going to get exiled. Moses still calls them to obey the Lord. The choice is still right, whether they can obey it or not. So, point two, Israel's present choice. Verse 15 and following. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commands of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, he says, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving, here's the goal of it all, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding, or listening, literally listening to his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life and your length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. You wonder why Jesus says things like, um, this is eternal life, 
to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is life, to know God, to love God, for he is your life and your length of days as dying people. You want to live? You want length of days in the new creation forever? Know the Lord. Choose life. It's the same for us as it was for Israel. Moses sets before the people two choices. It's the same two choices that Adam and Eve had many years before in the Garden of Eden. Choose life or choose death. What's it going to be? It's literally that simple. Oh, listen to God and live. Disobey him and die. Love the Lord. Listen to him. Hold fast to him. He will be your life and your length of days. But disobey. You perish quickly. And again, though, we know that the hearts of Israel won't listen. The word of command to love God and cling to God is not going to stick to their hearts. And the reason, again, the reason is because they don't have those hearts to listen. And in the context of the Torah, those first five books of the Bible, the, the, the problem with their hearts, the reason their hearts don't listen is one word, unbelief. Unbelief. They don't listen because their hearts don't trust the Lord. They don't believe him. They don't have, another word for belief is faith. Numbers 14, 11. The Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them. God's law the rules, it can't create faith in the hearts of God's people. In fact, the law, all God's rules about loving him and loving neighbor that we've looked at in Deuteronomy, it actually doesn't call for faith anywhere in it. That's why the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 3, verse 12 can say something like, the law is not of faith. Why? Because it never says believe. The rules never say believe. They say all over, do, love, listen, obey, hold fast to God. But they don't say believe. And yet, within the five-fold book that we've been unpacking, the Torah, we do say, we do see the way to keep the law spelled out, the way of faith. It's revealed for us in the life of one man. His name is Abraham, the ancestor of all of Israel. If you ever read Paul's letters to the churches in Rome and Galatia, you'll see that he talks about Abraham a lot. And he's, Abraham's the father of Israel, but he's writing mostly to Gentiles. What does gent what why should Gentiles be interested in the father of Israel Abraham because Abraham is a model for Israel and for the whole world of believing in God as a way to be righteous in God's sight and to keep God's law Paul doesn't just get this by carefully reading Abraham's story one place he gets it from is Isaiah 
Isaiah 51, verses 1 and 2. Listen to me, says the prophet. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness. All you Pharisees who are trying hard to keep the rules, listen to me, everybody who's trying to be good in God's sight. Look to Abraham, your father. You want to know how to be righteous? Look to Abraham. He's the answer. Isaiah 51. And that's what Paul does. Paul looks to Abraham, and he finds a righteousness from God that comes through faith. Genesis 15, verse 6. Abraham believes God, and God calls him righteous. Faith is what God is looking for, but faith produces something in Abraham. Because Abraham believes God, he trusts him with real faith in the story of Abraham, it, it makes him actually listen to God. Now, there's some ups and downs in the story of Abraham, just like we all have ups and downs in our trusting. But by the end of the day, Genesis 22, verse 18, God says, Abraham, you believe me because you listened to my voice. I'll bless you. You will live. You'll find blessing in life. Abraham listened to God. And because of this, God can say something in Genesis 26, verse 5, which is actually really amazing. Genesis 26, verse 5, God says, Abraham listened to my voice and kept my commandments, statutes, and laws. Wait, which came first? Abraham or the commandments, statutes, and laws of the Lord? Do you know? Which, in the story of the Torah, which comes first, Abraham or Moses? Abraham. How did Abraham keep the commandments and the statutes and the laws of the Lord? Before they were even given. Rabbis debated this for years. Maybe he had this secret revelation or, you know. How did he keep them? Listening to God. Why did he listen to God? Faith. He trusted him. Do you listen to people you don't trust? No. Trust is at the core of listening, of obedience. It's the sign of a believing heart. Abraham kept the law before the law was even given on Mount Sinai by faith that led to him listening, and listening led to him obeying out of love for God. He fulfilled the law through love that came from the heart that was filled with faith in the Lord. He fulfilled the law the same way that you Gentiles, most, I don't think any of you are Jewish that I know of, and Jews today can fulfill the law faith that leads to love. Romans 13, verse 8. The one who loves has fulfilled the law. So if you have faith in God like Abraham, then you listen to his word. And in listening to him, you will love him. And you'll love people made in his image. And in loving the Lord, you will obey him. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, Jesus says. And obeying him by faith, you will find life for your soul. Faith leads to love, to listening, to obedience to the Lord. Paul says this in Galatians. Galatians 5, verse 6. Galatians 5, 6. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision are anything. So whether you've had the surgery of a Jew or you're a Gentile and haven't had the surgery does not matter anymore. But faith, working through love, that's what matters. Trust is evidenced 
in love. Love for God, love for neighbor. Circumcision done with a knife doesn't get anyone faith that works through love. It's circumcision of the heart done by the Spirit that produces faith and love and every grace of the new covenant. Paul's other way of describing this faith-filled love from the heart is a phrase which our church is named after, new creation. Notice, if you have your Bibles, you could turn to Galatians 5 if you want. Notice the parallel between Galatians 5 verse 6 and Galatians 6 verse 15. Galatians 5 verse 6, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision are anything. They don't matter, but rather faith working through love. Then by the end of the letter, Galatians 6 verse 15, neither circumcision or uncircumcision are anything but new creation. So keeping the law by faith, trusting God that works, in, out, works itself out in your life by loving God is a sign of new creation work begun in your heart. Put there by the Spirit of God. That's all over Galatians. If we live by the Spirit, we'll keep in step with the Spirit. Where does he get that? Ezekiel. Deuteronomy. The Spirit gives life. I'll put a new spirit in you. The Spirit of the Lord awakens faith and trust. And when we trust, we love and we listen. Again, do we want to obey the words of someone we don't trust? Don't think so. So if we don't trust the Lord, then we're not going to love him enough to listen and to obey his word. Why do we sin like Israel? Ultimately, unbelief. And it's only the Spirit of God working new creation faith in our hearts that can fix that problem of a heart that doesn't trust. In the new covenant, which you and I are a part of, the New Testament is clear. God does fix the problem. When we trust in Jesus, Jesus pays for our sin. Jesus covers over everything that we've done wrong. All our failures to love God and to listen to God, they get covered by his blood. And then he purifies you by doing this so that you, that you become a fitting location for his Holy Spirit to live, to come and take up residence in your heart. And now, when God looks at your heart, if you trusted Jesus, with all its past and present failures, he looks through that and he sees the Holy Spirit of Jesus in your heart. And he sees you, by the Spirit's help, trusting in Jesus. And he calls you righteous because the perfectly righteous Jesus is actually in you. We believe that. Christ in us, our righteousness. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, the spirit in us, the very righteousness of Jesus himself. When God looks at you and I, even though we still sin, he sees his perfect son. And yet, the spirit isn't just chilling in your hearts doing nothing. If you're a true believer, the Spirit is very active. He's 
Romans 5 says he, God poured his love into your hearts by the Spirit. God puts his Spirit in you, which puts his very own love for himself, for his Son, for others in your heart, which enables you by his Spirit to love others. He's helping you listen to God. The Spirit is working new creation in your heart if you trust in Jesus. He's helping produce fruit in your life. The fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All those things fulfill the law, Paul says in Romans 13 and Galatians 5. Jesus works love for God in our hearts by his Spirit. So, as we conclude, what does this mean for us? First, if you trust Jesus, the faith in your heart, the trust in your heart in Jesus, it actually enables you to fulfill the law of God. All the commands we can do. We actually can. It is not too difficult for us to do. We shouldn't have a you know, an attitude, a cavalier attitude about following God. Like, well, Jesus will cover my sin. You know, I'm just a sinner. I'm, you know, yes, we are sinners. Yes, we're broken. Yes, those things are true. But the spirit within us makes us serious about wanting to live for God, wanting to pursue him. We can. We're not like Israel of old in an important way. Yes, we struggle with the same sins, but we do have a new heart. Not a perfect heart yet, but a heart with the Spirit in it. New creation has been kicked off in our hearts, and there's an end date for it. One day, we will be blameless before God in love. And so, every impulse in your life to be faithful, to have self-control, to love the Lord, to love your neighbor sacrificially, to be kind, gentle, to spread peace, is put there by the Spirit, is worked there by the Spirit. And it shows your heart has truly been circumcised. You've had that operation. And even though our present acts of, of obedience, our present acts of obedience are often so feeble, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11, it says, God will fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. So every impulse in your soul that you have to do good, to, to keep the law of love, to love others, God comes alongside you as you act in faith, and he fulfills every resolve for good by his spirit, by his power, and his grace. Ultimately, he is the one working it in us. And another thing to think about as we close these verses out, we can't circumcise someone else's heart. Only God can. If you're a parent, you, you can tell your kids about Jesus. We should. We can bring our kids to church. We can tell them the word of God. We can teach them about the law of God, what it looks like to love God and neighbor. We can show our kids with our own life what it looks like to be totally sold out for the Lord. We can show them repentance, what it looks like to ask for forgiveness for our sins or for sins against other people. But 
We can't write God's law of love on their hearts. We can't pour the Holy Spirit into their hearts. We just can't. We can't do the work of heart change. We can be used by the Spirit, but we can't do it. We can't go there. Not by a loud voice, not by manipulative power playing or tears or pouting. We just can't. So, this is not just for parents, but for anyone praying for someone's salvation. Let's not get angry that people don't love the Lord. Weep, pray for them, because there's only one who can overcome stubborn hearts, and that's the Spirit of Jesus. And then it's the last thing to look at. Love for God that fulfills the law only grows in the soil of faith. And so the greatest prayer that you can pray every day is, Lord, increase my faith. I believe, help my unbelief. There will be no unbelief in the new creation where, when Jesus returns and makes all things new. And because there will be no unbelief, there will be no sin. Heaven's a world of love. It's going to be a perfect world, a perfect world of trust in the Lord and obedience to him. And so, let's make every effort to strengthen our faith. And there is no better way given to us in the word to strengthen our faith than to look to the cross where the God of love gave his life for us. If he would do that for me, then surely he has my good in mind in everything that I go through, and I can trust him in all that he calls me to do.